Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender non-conforming people produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. Can you imagine the vulnerability of, you know, being assessed by a stranger and your disability being assessed by a stranger who is not aware of your health conditions, who is not aware of your health history or your personal circumstances, and uh, effectively, you know, being told whether or not you are disabled enough. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. This week on the program, we look at proposed changes to the National Disability Insurance Scheme, or NDIS, including independent assessments, which, if implemented, would require people with disabilities to see assessors they do not know for a one-off, non-appealable appointment, which would determine their access to or level of support available under the scheme. We hear from Azure Sana from the Disability Justice Network on the work the network does and the intersections between ableism, colonialism and white supremacy. First, though, we speak with disability advocate and writer Elle Gibbs about the proposed independent assessments and why they've received so much pushback from people with disabilities. My name is Elle Gibbs. I'm a disability advocate and writer. Thanks for joining us on the program today, Elle. So... Today we'll be talking about independent assessments for NDIS participants. Uh, The new Minister for the National Disability Insurance Scheme, um, Linda Reynolds, has currently put the plan on pause, but the issue is far from settled. Um, Could you describe what independent assessments are and why they're so concerning for people with disabilities? Sure. So independent assessments are part of a broader suite of reforms, um, but they're probably the most well-known and and some of the most contentious. Uh, The government did a really major review into the NDIS. There's been lots of problems with the NDIS rollout. It's not particularly fair. There are plenty of people who are missing out on essential supports and uh, navigating the NDIS can be really hard. So we know all of these issues. So a big review was done called the Tune Review, and they reported it in August last year, and one of the recommendations was that uh, for everyone coming into the scheme and everyone already in the NDIS, that they should do an independent assessment. So that means that um, they will sit in front of a stranger who will fill out a checklist, and that will decide not only whether they get into the NDIS and get supports at all, but how much support the people will get. So at the moment, what people need to do to get entry into the NDIS is get their GP, their specialist, a whole bunch of other people to write reports and fill out forms and and all that. And it is a bit of a rigmarole and it does advantage people who have lots of advocacy, so family, uh, self-advocacy, you know, formal advocacy. Um, And it isn't a super fair process, uh, but independent assessments are certainly not the answer. And also I understand one of the problems with the proposal was that um, you wouldn't be able to appeal the decisions of um, the independent assessor. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, there's been some interesting events this week where the Minister has appeared at Senate Estimates and 
then the head of the NDIA, um, which is the agency that runs the NDIS, um, uh, the CEO, Martin Hoffman, appeared at the, what's called the Joint Standing Committee. Uh, and he was extremely, shall I say, weasel wordy about the appeal rights. It's been something that's been raised consistently by disability advocacy groups and disabled people. But he was saying that, yes, people can appeal the decision of the NDIS and that the independent assessments are not a decision. They are just provide information that will inform a decision, honestly. Like, it was just... It is such a ridiculous sophistry to be using around these things when the results of the independent assessments will absolutely be used for decisions about the very supports that people use in their everyday lives. So it really was quite ridiculous. But, yes, there is no appeal rights. Um, and when people make decisions out of these independent assessments... You know, it, it is then that thing of like, well, then you have to go to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and or the Federal Court. And I mean, that is not accessible for most people with disability either. How would you describe the response to this proposal? I think even in August, when the the first mention of this was, was out, the response was pretty swift and pretty unanimous. And it hasn't shifted. So uh, people with disability are incredibly concerned about this. Often for many of us, we have been subjected to these kind of tick-the-box assessments of what we can't do and how broken we are uh, in lots of different spheres. So, you know, quite often you have them for work assessments or if you've ever had the misfortune of having to rely on Centrelink, as I have, um, there have been times when people have, you know, been through these sorts of things. They're really unpleasant. They're incredibly confronting and challenging. So for many of us, we understand what this means really quickly. The agency has you know, engaged in so-called consultations since August. There's been, you know, lots of meetings, lots of draft plans put out, all of that kind of stuff. But what they they are only really engaging in, how are they going to implement these independent assessments, not whether to introduce them at all. So it's incredibly concerning. And I'm, I'm really proud of people with disability because we've worked really hard to show in no uncertain terms that this is a problem um, when the new minister took up the portfolio, people with disability and their families sent 4,000 emails over a weekend. So there's been a lot of political pressure and a lot of organising to get that done. Uh, the thing is that independent assessments are kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole bunch of other reforms that the agency and the minister are not being particularly clear about. And they've now started to talk about things like, oh, the NDIS isn't sustainable, or it's going to cost as much as Medicare. And there is no evidence at all that any of that is true. So it's really worrying that, yes, we got uh, the agreement that there was a pause, but it's really concerning to hear now, since then, <laughs> that there's, you know, the Minister has said, oh, no, we're going to go ahead with this. No, you know, we're just, just having a pause to get it right. Mm. Like, really? Really? <laughs> I mean... Let's talk about some of the ideas at the core of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, um, sort of as it has been as it has been fought for. I mean, my understanding is that the idea is that individual people with disability should have uh, control over their funding, and that gives people more power um, in terms of accessing services and support. It sounds as though these proposed reforms are not really in line with that ideology. Mm, very much so. Um, because the proposal is, so the way it currently works now is that person with disability is asked, you know, what are your goals? Which is, you know, what do you want to do with your life? 
what are the kinds of things that you're keen on doing? Are you working? You know, do you like going fishing? Like, what are the things that you like to do? What are the things you want to do? You know, what's the stuff that um, is happening in your life that you, um, you know, want to achieve? And then the supports are designed around that. Um, and this is going to upend that process. So there'll be an independent assessment that will say, these are all the things that you can't do. And then there will be a budget developed. And out of that budget, then you can figure out how which supports you can afford to buy out of that budget. So it's, it's sort of ask about. Um, and the, look, I mean, the central premise of the NDIS is not unique to Australia, what the minister says, or unique to... Um, you know, even unique in Australia. So Victoria used to have this model before the NDIS, um, which is where people with disability have control of the funding that they use to have the supports that they need to live their life. So that can be something like personal care support, so someone to come in to help you have a shower, to help you with food, to help clean the house, all of those kind of things. It can be aids and equipment, it can be help at work. It can be all of that kind of stuff. And part of this has been about, for many years, people with disability had no choices and no control. So funding went directly to service providers, so to big organisations often, and some of them were charities and stuff. And then they would set the rules about what kind of support they would provide. And then if you were eligible or if you fitted into their boxes, then you could get some support. But you had no control and no say over it. So this is about changing that power dynamic um, and it's part of, I think part of the challenge around the NDIS is that uh, it hasn't been given any kind of time for any of those huge big changes to start to work through and for the problems in the system to work out. And instead the government is now saying, right, we need to totally scrap that whole system and have something that, that works far less and provide support for far fewer disabled people. What kind of evidence is there to back up the proposals on the table around NDIS reforms? Not much, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I've been critical of the NDIS as a voucher system for a long time, and, you know, I'm still sceptical that uh, the best way for us to exercise our rights is as consumers in a marketplace. I'm just not convinced that that's right, but I am convinced that funding sitting with the person with disability is correct. So I think a lot of progressives think that the NDIS is just privatisation, which isn't quite correct, but I think that the idea that there can be a free and open market, particularly for people with intellectual disability and people from multiply marginalised backgrounds, is not going to be how it works. But I worry very much that there are some assumptions being made about us as disabled people as part of these reforms that I resent deeply, you know, that we are burdens, that we are only costs to the budget, etc. So often governments race to announce how much they're spending on roads, which, I mean, they just announced in Sydney, you know, they're going to do a tunnel under the Blue Mountains for $11 billion, you know, and that's seen as a fantastic Great idea, no problems with that whatsoever. But providing enough support for 500,000 disabled people suddenly becomes welfare. And that has a very long history of us being seen as uh, 
not good consumers, <laughs> not good workers, and not having a place of, of equality uh, as citizens. So these proposed reforms are currently on pause. Where, where do you see things moving to from here? And I guess in terms of useful reforms, you, you mentioned um, that the NDIS hasn't really had time to play out for all of these changes to move across the system. I mean, what would you like to see happen in an ideal situation? <laughs> where do we start? Um, look, I think that it would be really good for them to stop, like to actually stop and just start listening to all of the people who have an enormous stake in making sure the NDIS works. Um, I think there's been this false dichotomy set up between disabled people, our families and our community, and the government on the other side, you know, that somehow we don't want the NDIS to be sustainable, which is just as far from the truth as possible. So I think that's the first thing for them to stop. There is this other legislation that is lurking, that will enable the independent assessments, but a whole lot more as well. And it will give the minister a kind of godlike power over what what people what they think people um, can have in their support. So if the minister decides no, no one gets to go fishing, no one gets any support to go fishing. I don't like fishing. You can't go fishing, and that means no one will be able to go fishing. Now I'm using that as an example because Minister Robert particularly didn't like the federal court deciding that the NDIS should fund uh, sex work services, for example, if they are reasonable and necessary for the person with disability. And so he particularly wanted to outlaw the NDIS funding anything to do with sex, including adaptable sex toys, including supports to be with your partner, including everything. So there's a whole bunch of stuff tied up with that that need to stop. If listeners are concerned about this issue or interested in finding more information, what's the best place that they can go um, to learn more or possibly take some action around pressuring the government around this? I'd encourage everyone to go to Every Australian Counts, which is the campaign that fought for the NDIS and is where all of the campaign work is being centralised. So you can follow them on lots of social medias. Uh, and they've got some clear actions on their website. So if you feel like it, you can send an email to the minister. Another thing you can do is uh, write a letter, old school, to your MP, particularly if you happen to live in a coalition electorate, and, or write a letter to a coalition senator. That would be fantastic. Just about, you know, that you support people with disability and you support the campaign against independent assessments. So, yeah, that would be amazing. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. You just heard disability advocate and writer Elle Gibbs speaking about proposed independent assessments to be included in the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Next, we speak with Azure Sana from the Disability Justice Network. Hi, I'm Azure Sana. I am part of the Disability Justice Network. I'm a disability advocate and have been doing advocacy for the last five years, I'd say. And um, I, I found myself having to advocate because I realized that my identity was so politicized that I didn't really have any other choice. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today. We're going to be talking a bit about uh, the proposed changes to the National Disability Insurance Scheme, especially 
independent assessments. But before we get started, could you give us a bit of background about the Disability Justice Network and what you do? The Disability Justice Network was, I guess, brought together by a few people in in Canberra um, who, who were part of the incarcerated disability justice reading group. And um, we haven't been around for long, but our network centers access in all forms um, every single time, which, which actually I've realized is quite rare in most spaces. Uh, we adapt to each other's needs and try essentially to fill the gaps in access that we have found in other spaces. So for instance, more recently, some of our members are starting easy English training and soon we'll be incorporating this into our meetings as well. I also really want to touch on um, disability justice versus disability rights. Um, so um, we, in, in contrast to disability rights, um, we are seeking something more than what exists within the disability rights movement. Um, and we're looking at reformist approaches to change, um, and we're trying to centralize the needs and experiences of everyone with a disability, um, looking at intersectional oppression of people with disabilities. I wanted to ask you, in relation to independent assessments, um, the proposed changes to the National Disability Insurance Scheme will do a couple of things. They will make it harder for people to potentially access the scheme and also change um, people who are already accessing the NDIS. Um, they may change the kind of support they receive. So as you've touched on people who experience multiple marginalizations, in addition to the structural oppression they face in relation to their disability, um, they face greater barriers. So especially people who are First Nations, uh, black, brown, or culturally and linguistically diverse people. So could you speak a bit about why this sort of one-size-fits-all approach of independent assessments is so dangerous in this context? Yes, definitely. Um, you mentioned that people may not receive um, the kind of support you know that, that they need. I'd say people might not receive any support at all. Um, individual assessments would effectively be reintroducing uh, racist and sexist frameworks into disability access. Um, the barrier to access would mean that, you know, t to be able to receive support, we would have to choose to risk re-traumatization and not even for confirmed support because essentially it would be us, you know, accessing the service and getting an individual assessment for the option of perhaps being able to receive support if we're verified by parties that do not understand nor respect um, the disabled experience. This is especially true when it comes to those of us with marginalized identities on top of disability. So if we have a look, women and diverse people with disabilities uh, experience domestic and family violence at twice the rates of those without disabilities. Um, this number is even higher for women and gender diverse um, folk that are First Nations and people of color. Um, and what individual assessments demand is we are being asked to go back to authority, um, back to the systems that failed us it, the, the first time around to be vulnerable and essentially be able to, I guess, plight 
like in plight for the support that people with disabilities should be receiving um, in in the first place. And for instance, First Nations, especially for First Nations people, this is very re-traumatizing um, to have to trust and subject their health to more authority figures um, that not only do not cater to, but also do not understand or practice culturally safe practices. The NDIA said in February that tailored training would be provided to assessors. Um, we, we don't know what type of tailored training that is. Um, we don't know what type of standardized tools will be used. It is not safe for us. In terms of the broader intersections between ableism, colonialism and white supremacy in this context, I mean, what what kind of reforms would you like to see to the current system to, to make a difference to people who experience these kind of multiple oppressions? Uh, that, that's a great question, Emma. I think I, I don't have a direct answer to that because I think... The disability experience is, is very broad, um, but I will say that we can start with uh, having people um, in the NDIS that do understand the needs of the, the many communities that I've spoken about today and um, having a more diverse mechanism of assessing the needs of, of those who are accessing the NDIS, um, having those culturally safe practices in place and that being standardized throughout the NDIS so that uh, everyone who comes can can have that measure of safety and, and not risk, um, risk their own health and risk their own safety only for the chance at receiving support. Um, that, that would be a great place to start. Um, but I think that this is a much bigger conversation that needs to be had with all of our communities. Um, and and in that way, we can we can highlight the specific needs of all of our communities because the disability experience is, is definitely not an individual experience. There's also, in the current structure of the, the NDIS, there are also other other issues in terms of accessing the scheme. Let's talk about people with disabilities who are temporary residents. What what kind of supports do they have access to? Thank you for bringing that up. That's an issue dear, dear to my heart. Um, there are currently little to no supports um, for people with disabilities who are temporary residents. So disabled refugees, um, disabled um, migrants, um, and even um, disabled international students now since COVID has hit, there is almost that assumption that, you know, if you are disabled and you, you are not a PR or a citizen, then we don't have space for you here. This is also how a lot of the community here feels because we also did not receive any government support um, or a stimulus in, in the beginning of COVID-19. Um, a lot of us with disabilities may not be able to, you know, work the same hours. And because of our temporary resident um, status, we may be less inclined to be able to access, access supports at our workplaces, at our education sites, 
um, at the risk of terminating our employment and, you know, at the risk of, of making it harder to be able to find employment. And as I mentioned before, many, many women and gender diverse people with disabilities have experienced domestic and family violence. A lot of people on temporary resident, residency status may be a partner um, to an Australian citizen. And in that case, that's also very difficult because um, if you are experiencing DDF, um, and your residency relies on your partner, what, what are you meant to do? Um, how do you report that? And, and we haven't even touched on um, we haven't even touched on the possibility of a person with disability being abused by their carer as well. Um, and, and that could be you know a person who, who is perhaps a PR a citizen, um, not necessarily just a, just a temporary resident. but there, there are a lot of, intersectional issues that have not been considered. In this introduction of assessments, Reynolds has, has recently voiced concerns of the, of the NDIS going over budget, um, and that just confirms our fears that these assessments were a cost-cutting measure and not at all thought of from a disability perspective, um, nor reflective of what disabled Australians need and have been demanding for years. Um, we know what we need. Instead of hearing us, these processes make it harder for us to access what is meant to be a disability support service. Where can listeners go to find out more about the Disability Justice Network um, or perhaps get in touch if they're interested in supporting the network? We have a mutual aid fund in place and our ethos is that the fundraiser is set up for multiple marginalised disabled people to pick up where the system has failed us. So... If anyone would like to donate to that, that would be a fantastic way to support us. You've been listening to Azure Sana from the Disability Justice Network speaking about proposed independent assessments under the National Disability Insurance Scheme in relation to disability justice in the intersections of ableism, colonialism and white supremacy. If you'd like to make a contribution to the Disability Justice Network Mutual Aid Fund, search for Disability Justice Network Mutual Aid Fund on GoFundMe. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender nonconforming people. This program was produced in NAM, Melbourne, with the amazing support of 3CR staff, so a big thank you to them. Women on the Line is broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenonthelion at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 If you'd like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need on the Women on the Line website. 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time. <laughs>